Welcome, everyone, to the Runaways Rundown podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everybody. Here today to talk about our season one wrap of Runaways with the renewal in our pocket here. Uh, Just could not go without talking some Runaways on a Tuesday, Matt. It, It just feels right. It does just feel right, Pete. Here we are. You know, this is a show, I will admit, it was like, Pete, another show to add to the mix. <laughs> and then it was like, are you sure it's MCU? I was trying to find the out. And this was a delightful time. Uh, I was going to say at the movies. But it's that kind of sentiment of, <laughs> we went out, we watched this show. It was a lot of fun. Yes, it had some depth to it. I don't want to suggest that it was escapist nonsense. But it kind of it, it it was a fun time kind of contrasted by most of the other tv that we watch either for podcasting or fun where it's all dire situations and this was dire too but it was this was like a breath of fresh air i have to credit new york comic con with this and we were able to watch the premiere back in october the pilot ahead of the november 21st uh, airing of the first three episodes and that sold me, uh, very, very early on in that, uh, I knew, you know, we would definitely want to stick with this. We were going to stick it out to check it out for the, the, uh, listeners that we have across all of our other, uh, Marvel cinematic universe feeds. But, uh, you know, having, having seen that, that cemented it for me, Matt. So what we're going to do today, kind of keeping in the theme with the show, we're going to give you our promoted to uh, the next grade, you know, the things we want to see, the things that were done well, we want to see more of. We're going to give you our left backs, you know, the things maybe we want to keep in this uh, first season. And then we're going to give you our yearbook superlatives, uh, for various things, uh, characters, episodes throughout the season. Great, uh, great way to break things up there, Pete. And I guess, uh, I guess it falls to me to start with things. I think, I think the best promoted to the next grade was the all too rare, uh, presentation of a, a, of a same sex relationship. I know they're not quite in relationship uh, status yet. That is uh, of course, Nico and Carolina, but just, um, I don't know. It was presented so matter of factly and, and, uh, we need more of that on TV. I will double down, not just the presentation of a, and the positive one at that of a, of a young same sex couple, Uh, But the presentation of all the couplings here, they did a tremendous job casting this group. And I just think that between, uh, you know, every single one of them, the way that they went about with the authenticity of them as young people and then when they would interact in in a more than friend sense, um, it was really believable and well done. It was, and and I'll just echo that by saying it's difficult at this point after these 10 episodes to imagine these characters without the actors, at least in um, mm-hmm. in, in filmed form. Um, yes, most of them are, you know, out of high school with the exception of Allegra Acosta, who plays Molly. Um, but, I mean, that's that's... <laughs> 
That's everybody. That's every show. I mean, I just saw Jumanji over the weekend. One of the high school kids, Pete, was in had a small role in Star Trek Into Darkness five years ago. Who was um, that? Um, that was Sir Darius Blaine, uh, who uh, who played the high school version of Fridge in Jumanji. Welcome to the Jungle, Pete. He graduated high school ten years ago, and he's oh. playing a high schooler. So, I will absolutely accept Runaways giving me. Oh, I don't know, Virginia Gardner, who's 22, playing a high school senior, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Right. And you mentioned uh, Virginia Gardner, uh, particularly her and um, Lyrica Ocano, that uh, couple of, of Nico and, and Carolina there, and up and down the cast of uh, both the young people. And I really got to get props, Matt. They might be out of high school, but promoted to the next uh, grade for me is the pride. They're all so well cast. Pete, something mm-hmm. that I don't think we discussed on the podcast, I don't even think we discussed off mic. It took me about six episodes in to all of a sudden realize that uh, that Catherine Wilder, played by Angel Parker, um, Angel Parker was in um, American Crime Story, People vs. Yep. O.J. Simpson. Yep. Um, I felt like I had seen her in something and finally went back. Oh, that's Sean Chapman, who was, you know, a, a lawyer, female lawyer for the uh, for the defense. So uh, they're all just so well cast. Some of them, you know, a, a bit more familiar. Angel Parker, right. um, uh, certainly Kevin Wiseman, certainly James Marsters. Others, I mean, shoot, Pete, 10 weeks ago, I would not know Ever Carradine from anybody else in the world. Now I'm on my... <laughs> I'm on my second show in ten weeks where she where she recurs in right. uh, in uh, the Handmaid's, Handmaid's Tale. Handmaid's Tale, yeah, we're both watching that now. It's, it's amazing what you get into after uh, <laughs> after Runaways. <laughs> well, Pete, uh, quick quick tangent, if I may. You know, we carry nobody's water um, with the addition to Hulu just this past weekend of every episode of ER. Let's yes. just say my my plans for the quick exit from Hulu are happily dashed. There you go. Well, I, uh, if that changes, I've got all the DVDs. Uh, my, at least my wife does of, of all 15 seasons. Remember when people did that? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, and, and you even left out Annie Wershing here, ex of, of 24. And you know who grew a lot on me throughout the season uh, was Kip Pardue as uh, Frank Dean. Um, in, in terms of that character's journey, you know, being on the outside looking in and now where he is at the end of the season. Uh, and I'd have to say my, my favorite, uh, set of parents, hands down the Yorks uh, between Bridget Brana and, uh, Kevin Wiseman there, you know, the, the quirky idea that they bring to that. And it was completely apparent from the pilot that, uh, they would be a lot of fun and the the show deals with heavy stuff, but it really cooks. It really moves. It's amazing that we did 10 episodes, Matt. And I know we did them over six or seven weeks because we got the first three up front. But, you know, it, it was effortless. It's it, It's interesting that you should say that. I think the fact that this is a larger story that is ultimately wrapped in wrapped in the wrapping paper of it's high school man and it's like oh our you know parents stink when you're in high school that's kind of what i think takes some of the some of the weight off the narrative where you're not like 
oh man, you know, it's like the magic mom, and then the other one I think has an uh, has a uh, an alien daughter. Like that's all true, but at the end of the day, you're just like, hey, these are the different cliques in high school, and somehow they found a way to be together, and they have they all live in houses that most of us aspire to live in, but might not get there. Um, I, I know Pete. When I look out my backyard, I don't I don't see the uh, the house-sized guest house on the other end of the pool, you know. Um, but yeah, despite this fantastic stuff, it, it is relatable. It is so relatable. I'd have to say, too, that the, the world that they live in, you know, so much was made about this is a West Coast, Los Angeles set uh, Marvel teenage show. And I have to say, I think they really nailed it from the private school to the exclusivity of the zip code and even winding up at the end of the season at the um, observatory there. uh, Yes, the famous Griffith Observatory de rigueur for any visit to Los Angeles. One must simply go up there, take some pictures, look at the Hollywood sign, etc. And we've both been there. I've been there more recently, and uh, that's directly out of the comics. That that is a is a thing. Um, so the authentic, authenticity when it came to that as well, and uh, on top of that, to promote the world that they live in, the way that they were made to look like their comic counterparts at times throughout the season. You know, we had the the final episode. You know, we have. Um, we have Carolina wearing the the braid in her in her hair with the with the fish braid and the yin yang t-shirt on, you know, directly off the cover of that first issue. Uh, so they they really did a good job. It, it wasn't slavishly faithful, which it could have been, uh, but it was organically put in there, which I really really digged. Pete, what things are going to get left back by you? What things did not make the grade? I have to say, I think that some of the situations they chose to put the dinosaur in really detracted from how good a digital and a practical effect that was at times. Sticking it on the roof in the one episode uh, was a a no-fly for me. It's funny. I have been been defending old lace all season, but I feel like just looking back here – I wish that the effects were better and I know why they weren't because you're working on a, on a certain budget and you have a huge, huge cast here. Um, you know, you, you kill off two sets of parents in the first episode. Maybe, maybe the old lace effects are, are, are twice as good, at least from a digital end. Um, but I appreciate the heart of the practical, uh, puppet. I just wish I aspire for the perfection that I understand why they did not achieve. The other thing, Matt, I would have to say I would leave behind for this season, uh, episode 108, Tsunami, a.k.a. the episode where uh, we bottle showed the parents in the blood-soaked garage of Victor Stein. Oh, is that the episode where they yelled at each other for most of the episode? It is. Yeah, perhaps not the not the finest moment. Um I will I will leave back one more thing, if only because I feel like more could have been done with it. Maybe more will be, or maybe it was done more in the comics. But the relationship that 
that the pride has with uh, Lieutenant Flores of the LAPD. I mean, there, there ain't nothing like a good LAPD story. And grant you, that's not this show. This show is West Coast kids, not, you know, not Dragnet plus X-Men. But it would have been interesting to see more of the kind of underpinning here of corruption or what he's doing and things of that sort. Um, I don't know. I would uh, Again, maybe I have LAPD on the brain from <laughs> People versus OJ or whatever yes. it else might be or any, any of these zillion other shows or movies, LA Confidential. But I would have liked it if we went a little bit more in that direction. Absolutely. And I, I think that's a fair criticism uh, in in light of uh, everything that's going on in, in terms of our world. Uh, it's hard not to have that. Well, then, Matt, we're going to take a look at some uh, normal and then maybe some offbeat superlatives you might find in your yearbook. <laughs> uh, I will start with um, creepy group least likely to succeed. Uh, I. <laughs> I dug the presentation of Gaborum, and I'm not trying to bring in an overly real-world religious light, and I'm not trying to wag my finger at any one religious group or the notion of religion uh, in general. So just focusing on Gaborum here um, and perhaps whatever Los Angeles-based religion that Gaborum may be a potential analog to, but I like how affirmational, aspirational and PR facing that, that we see the church of Gaborum is. And then I, I, I enjoy from a story point of view, peeling that back, peeling that back, peeling that back and reaching a point where no, no, they're, they're not good people. They're doing wrong things for the wrong reasons, for selfish reasons and, and doing it in the trappings of religion, not the best of religion. That's a good one. I'm going to go with a traditional here, Matt. I'm going to go with the cutest couple. And as I mentioned before, Nico and Carolina just really uh, – it was it was life-affirming. It was cute. It was well-handled. It was non-sensationalized. And I think TV needs more of that. Uh, I will add best bromance – while it worked, <laughs> I really, really enjoyed seeing Chase and his father, Victor, be on the same page, be working together. I think that though it was done, again, with this, you know, fantastic comic book uh, layer of, you know, he's he's gotten the, the turbo boost to fight his cancer and all of that, you know. I think it's a little bit of a reminder, hey, you know what, these teenage years do pass. You do reassess your parents. You do realize that they're not always the worst people ever even though these parents are just about the worst parents ever but there is that opportunity to reassess and to to meet your parents in your own adulthood and uh so yeah best uh, best bromance well matt i am going to award the superlative for best house hands down to the wilders when you have a murder basement and a whole other house outside <laughs> that Alex can, you know, slam the door and retreat to with his father's firearm. You know, you are, as the kids would say, a baller. <laughs> uh, Pete, I'll add a, a, a bit more of a modern superlative, most likely to become a travel blogger. I'm going to give that to Alex Wilder, who uh, certainly had these guys on the run early 
was was managing expectations, managing the team despite his lack of uh, his lack of superpowers, and he certainly is on the run now. I'm gonna give most likely to shatter the glass ceiling, hands down, to Gert Yorks. I particularly appreciated the one-liners throughout the season. Yes, did she come with an agenda? She did. But Matt, if we haven't already identified that the future is female, we know now. Well, I will add to that, Pete, certainly with a little uh, mustache twirling here, most uh, most likely to uh, quietly take over the world that could be bearded adult Chase Stein, who wears glasses <laughs> and is really smart. Don't come to the future, Dad. It's all bad. And lastly, I'm going to go with the place I will uh, most like to live in the future, yet fear it because of that snapshot, and that is uh, Los Angeles. <laughs> I will say most likely to take us to the future is Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage, the showrunners, who who snagged this property in an uh, kind of independent uh of of marvel searching them out they kind of knew knew abc or marvel had it and i feel like this is the best possible version of this show in terms of it being accessible to adults even though like we're totally cool young adults pete but you know as an adult you can watch the show this is not you know this is not some sort of pure teen drama it takes you back to the perpetual you know the, the perpetual teenage self that you can you can refer to when you when you think back but um they really produced in this show as i said the best possible the best possible runaways tv show for 2017 2018 that we could get well with that pete let's hear what some of our listeners thought and we will start with our pal fred in the netherlands hello matt pete and all listeners to the runaways podcast Fortunately, Matt and Pete decided to do a season review, so I can give my feedback on episode 10. There were some tops and some minor things, some nitpicks, so I will grade this episode as an 8. Actually, for the nitpicks, I would say it gets a 6, but there were some very good scenes in it, which I even would give a 9. So on average, that's a 7.5, but that I've, I think that was a little bit too less, so I give it an 8. First of all, I have two remarks. What I found a little strange, but we saw that before in the case of Chase and his mother, that when Jonah is uh, taking the mask of Carolina and she's waking up and uh, she he is telling her that he is her father, that the first thing uh, he does is give her a drink. I hear you on the drink thing fred but haven't watched it a couple times uh the first time it definitely stood out to me i was like wait a minute we've we've had stan lee enable uh teenage drunkenness in the back of the uh the the limo in episodes earlier but wait a minute that seemed an awful lot like it was water nico's uh a lip ring that much especially when she kissed carolina well okay that are just two remarks then i have three really nitpicks um or four actually 
One is that when they walk around town uh, with their dinosaur in this uh, shopping mall uh, cart, uh, his head is sticking out and everybody is just walking by and nobody thinks, oh, they are walking around with a dinosaur. So that was a little awkward. Uh, another second thing was when they were climbing uh, the Hollywood um, hills or mountains, um, it was quite hot. You could see that uh, Nico is all, is all the time waving herself a little air. And at the same time, Chase and Molly are having very thick blankets around their neck and, uh, and walking around like that. Uh, I found that a little awkward. And I really wondered where they got those blankets at all. And the real nitpick was when Chase put on these goggles uh, to see if somebody was coming. And then he saw Jonah walking around glowing. And just in a fraction before that, we see Jonah just walk around in his normal shape. Sh so he was not glowing at that moment. And when Chase is doing this, he is standing next to Carolina. Carolina is not glowing as well, but he should be uh, overwhelmed by light because she is just standing next to him. Some really excellent observations there, Fred. Uh, I think there is no story way to explain, uh, at least based on what we have seen so far, to explain why uh, Jonah's glowing A would be so, um, or rather n not so bright that it's not overpowering the goggles, and also the fact that Carolina um, is not glowing as well. You know, it's kind of one of these, either it is or it isn't. Either the powers are turned on or they're not, or if, if they're not in the in the act of flying or releasing power, whatever it might be, then they shouldn't be glowing on the goggles. Unless, Matt, unless he's just so powerful that his thermal signature reads at a, at a higher rate. So what were the tops? Um, I really, really found a, a top scene. The scene with all the parents, um, apart from Jeffrey and his wife, uh, in the basement, in the lab. Um, where Leslie is telling the truth and especially uh, the performance by Tina. It was really, really um, performed very, very well and also written very well. And I liked, of, loss, uh, of course, the last few scenes where they discover in the, in the bus stop, the bus terminal, um, that they are hunted and that are uh, the most wanted uh, criminals in the US and uh, they run away. Finally, the big questions, and that's of course the questions for everybody. Um, the very, very last scene where we see the newspaper and it uh, is blown away by the wind. It is uh, concerning about uh, uh, earthquakes in the LA area. Um, so that will play a role probably in, in the near future with that big thing uh, under the ground there. Other question, of course, is uh, Jonah uh, having uh, his skin problem again. Is that also one reason why he dug that hole to get uh, to his roots again or something like that um, instead of uh, sacrificing uh, uh, um, uh, people? And in the sense of sacrificing, is, is Frank, because he says, I will do everything to save Carolina, is he is going to sacrifice himself uh, to save uh, Victor, uh, for instance. It sounded a little bit like that. 
So, I'm looking forward to your review of the whole season. Greetings, all the best, Fred. Thanks again, Fred. One thing there with uh, Jonah and the, the skin problem returning, um, I don't think that's why he's going into the hole. I think that's always been a plan. I think what's happening to his skin is as a result of some exertion, either that that was the fight with uh, Carolina or the stress of having to manage the pride and the kids, both, who knows, but I, I think that's a complication and not something that, uh, you know, was, was going to happen. I, I take him at his word when he said he was fine now, uh, when, when he was asked before that, you know, the 15th sacrifice was, all right, I'm good. I have 15 lives in me now or whatever. <laughs> uh, but I don't think that's why he's, he's struggling now. I do really like Fred's theory that perhaps uh, Jonah has been moved to protect his daughter more. Uh, I mean, he's been, as wonderful as Julian McMahon is, Jonah as a villain has been pretty one note in terms of he's Machiavellian, he's always in charge, you can't escape his clutches, he's smarter than you, he's richer than you, he's better than you. Um, and these are all fabulous, fabulous uh, attributes for a villain and and wonderfully exciting when you have when it turns out that what you thought were the top villains in terms of the pride that they actually have a boss and they they can't work around their boss it's it's wonderful wonderful drama but he's he's been largely unsympathetic and if we're headed towards something in season two where we're going to feel sympathetic for him or he's going to feel sympathy for some of the other characters that could be a rich route to take story-wise Speaking of story, Matt, our story begins with our wonderful contributors to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Everybody gets exclusive podcast content, and then there's all sorts of perks and levels that you might choose to contribute past that that gets you in that Brentwood zip code. Pete, and that's North Brentwood, which if I learned anything, that's where you want to be, <laughs> south of the something or other highway. That's where that's the less cool part. We're only in the coolest part of Brentwood, made possible by the coolest listeners helping us out. But Pete, the best, accessible by any of the freeways, is talking to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, -E -E 9,766 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast anytime you like. Visit FantasticGeek.com, email FantasticGeek at gmail.com. Tweet us on Twitter or check us out on Instagram where we are, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more! Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word. Like it today. Pete, for those listening on the Runaways Rundown podcast feed, we will update as more information comes our way regarding season two, some sort of production schedule. I think we're, we're way off from a release schedule, but uh, certainly more Runaways coming and... Um, that's always a good thing. If you're listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we'll be back Friday for S.H.I.E.L.D., Sunday for Star Trek Discovery, and then, Pete, we might actually just stay in two-a-week mode for quite some time. It's a rather shocking notion. We're going to have to go all, see a movie or something. All the way something. until, uh, well, well, we'll be hitting Black Panther uh, the, that second full week of February, so that'll be 
but we will have concluded actually that'll that'll be, be one week where we do three yeah well it'll and be then, yeah uh yeah yeah then it's then it's gonna be twos matt so you know pete, not even be good time for uh cloak and dagger to get a date pete star trek discovery ends on february 11th which means the following that same weekend as Black Panther, we are going to do a, or maybe that into that following week, but we'll do the season one wrap up. Then it'll be just Shield for about a, uh, a month until Jessica Jones. So, Pete, one a week. We're gonna have to come up with something here. We're gonna have to watch old Star Treks, or I don't know what. We'll figure it out. That we will. Well, with that, Pete, I'm gonna say I hate you, Dad, one more time, <laughs> and give you the final season one Runaways rundown word. I'm gonna slam my door at you. On that gas, we almost got whiplash. It took off so fast. The roof was open. The music was high, and this girl's hand was steadily moving up my thigh. She had opened up three buttons on her shirt so far. I guess that's why I didn't notice that police car. We're doing 90 in my mom's new portion to make. This long story short, short when the cop pulled me over, I was scared.